We battle, battle, battle. We battle radio, radio, radio. Come on, man. To get your interviews, commercials, music spins, and radio edited music on We Battle Radio, call 615-424-5156 or email webattleradio at gmail. We Battle Radio. What's up? It's your boy, Hood Rock. DJ Mackie G. Yo! We got LT in the building from Gideon's Army. Yes, sir. Hey, yes, sir. Last time he was here, he was here announcing the Fed paint, helping them out. But his uh, initiative with the Gideon's Army done moved to, y'all done moved the city, moved to yes, Congress, and all yes, kind sir. of stuff y'all been doing. Yes, sir. We in the courts, we in the community, we in, uh, uh, like I say, one of our members on the community oversight board, and we, uh, we also you know, doing our thing in, in, in politics as well. Cause we definitely got to get in politics because that's where the power is. Yeah. And uh, and y'all got something going on next? Yes, sir. Next, next week? Next, next next Monday, uh, September the 7th at uh, uh, Minerva over on Buckhannon. We got a, a fundraiser we holding because we trying to, you know, continue to raise funds so our uh, organization can our organization can continue to function mm-hmm. and provide for the community because we feel that the resources that we provide is much needed and it's, it's very few that's out here that got boots on the ground that's addressing the serious issues that our community is facing. Yeah. Yes, sir. And uh, we got a, I know we got a movement we're going to be talking about later on. Y'all stay tuned about the from school to prison pipeline is going on. What's your views on on that? This is a Umar Johnson yeah. uh, yes, topic. Sir. Yes, sir. Well, uh, I, I, my views on that is because uh, last year we worked inside Pearl Cone. Okay. And that's what uh, one of Gideon's Army main main issues that they address is trying to curb and stop the school to prison pipeline, which. Okay. Uh, one of my comrades, he be in in a few minutes that will give you the data on all that yeah. right there. However, what we do is we operate inside Pearl Cone where we was, but they they removed us because a power struggle with the principal over there and I found her. However, when we were we was there, we would, we would have circles, and before the students get suspended, they would send the students to us. Okay. The teachers do. They'll send the students to us, and We'll sit the students down and we'll talk to them about first what was it that got them sent to us mm-hmm. and then how could they have done anything different. Yeah. And then we talk about conflict and resolution and and basically, you know, see what's really bothering them. Because in most cases, you know, most of most of our our, our youth are facing some some, some serious situations. Mm-hmm. Whether they got friends who've been murdered, whether they got uh, sisters and brothers who've been raped or molested yeah, and yeah. a whole lot of trauma that they're dealing with and when they come to school sometimes they just don't want to be bothered by teachers and mm-hmm. teachers may see a, a, a change in their mood yeah. and think that okay they're being difficult but mm-hmm. no they're just dealing with something that they face with at home yeah my wife and, is a school teacher yes sir and, uh, we talk about this all the time and I tell her a lot of it the fathers is missing from his homes Yes, sir. Good fathers. Yes, sir. 
You know what I'm saying? The ones who really know what's going on and, and they ain't having it. Mm-hmm. And not letting the system tell them how to raise a child. You yes, know sir. what I'm saying? You know what I'm talking about. Old school. Yeah, you know? For sure. For sure. <laughs> and, and that's what's needed. And I'm telling you, I know I appreciate the old school. You know what I'm saying? Because I probably did her in jail. Mm-hmm. If it wasn't for old school, you know what I'm saying? Let me know that ain't that ain't what you want, bro. Yes, you sir. know what I'm saying? Yeah, you had somebody. your daddy with you. My daddy was gone, but I oh, had yeah. men in my life. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Father figures yeah. to look up to. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Constant. My mom always const- always kept a constant male figure in my life. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Church. Mm-hmm. You know, uh uh even to the military. I went to the military. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? The 80s Army. And I always needed that that void field yes sir but i was smart enough to make sure whoever filled this void is worthy to fill this void Mm -hmm. you know what i'm saying worthy of of my ear Mm -hmm. and yeah yes Yes, sir i appreciate it you know what i'm saying i appreciate it i appreciate it and that's what we need man we need we we need more of that 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 old school type of upbringing Mm -hmm. yeah because even in our communities not just in the schools we need that in Mm -hmm. our communities yeah yeah, because it take a village to raise a child. Yes, sir. It take a village. Just, just mind your business. Only, only apply yeah. to certain things. Yeah, it's <laughs> social social <laughs> media make you mind your business a little bit more. More people don't talk to each other. Mm-hmm. You know, that's you know, crazy. Because they you know into the phone like, and message. They'd rather record versus. Yeah, make comments about it you know online. They'd rather you know? sit there and record versus actually helping this person out. Why are you sitting there recording this person yes. going through this issue exactly. when you can yeah. be helping them out real quick? Exactly. And, 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 and you possibly can save this person. You possibly you could possibly be a testimony to this person. You never know, man. You know, you never know who, what they going through. Mm-hmm. You know, you know. I'm sometimes, yeah, you got money in business, but in certain instances, no, nah, they don't. That ain't going to fly, especially yeah. when it comes to your own. Yes, sir. <laughs> especially when it comes to your own. Yes, sir. And another thing, uh, I know y'all been doing a movement on the store in uh, North North yeah. Nashville by Fisk. Yes, sir. I heard a little bit about it. I don't know the full oh, well, story well, on that. Paul's Market. Uh, yeah. Well, I heard about that. Yeah. I, I ain't know. I, th- I still thought it was black owned, but, you know, African homeboy used to own it. Mm-hmm. No, no. Uh, uh, they got they, new owners. They have been uh, uh, bought out by, uh, by uh, some, I guess, some foreigners, uh-huh. I would say. You know what I'm saying? And, uh. What happened was, uh, it been several incidents that, t- that have taken place up there. Yeah. But then one particular incident that 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 pushed us to go inside and address it was they shot at a woman. What? You know, first Come they, on. they hit her in the shot? face with uh, a golf club, and then got to shoot another. Come on, man. Yes, got to shoot another. But they locked up uh, two of the uh, the uh, workers at the store. Yeah. However. When we heard about it, we went we went inside the store mm-hmm. the same the, the 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 next day and uh you know uh, had a had a sit down and talk to uh well not a sit down but but just talk to the uh the owner yeah. as well as you know what I'm saying, the dude that was behind the cash I don't know if that it was his son, but just mm-hmm. told him, Man, look, we don't want uh we don't want police putting their hands on black folk. We don't want black folk putting their hands on black folk. We definitely don't want nobody else putting their hands on black folk. So yeah. if you got an issue then come holler at us because we done when we did our rollout with getting mm-hmm. get the violence interrupters we went to every business out of north nashville told them look we out here we canvassing if y'all got any type of issue with uh with our people mm-hmm. holler at us here go our contact you know what i'm saying so our whole thing is if somebody y'all feel that's unruly or whatever just call one call us we'll come we may know they people or we may know them 
know what I'm saying? But being that they see us every day coming through, you mm-hmm. know what I'm saying, when we canvas, then, of course, they going to listen to us. Mm-hmm. We give them dollars. We, you know what I'm saying, give them whatever, you know what I'm saying, that, that they may ask for. But most of the time, we just sit so there and give them some So this is just somebody that was bumming, beg, no, no. begging for stuff. This is a regular store. No, Somebody's trying to buy something at the store. Exactly. The sister, yeah. you, you know how, how people is, and in particular our sisters. Mm-hmm. They kind of aggressive with their mouth. But okay. that still don't require you to know what I'm There's saying. No put exactly, hit her in the face with a golf club Man, and then shoot out. Know no, what I'm saying. Yeah. How they feel that? I'm trying. How they get the confidence to do that? Man, and, and that's. But see, <laughs> dude, it's a, it's a whole well, lot of variables. that. With with that whole, with them having that type of mindset, thinking that they can come in and do something like yeah. that. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Uh, they've been falsely yeah. falsely informed. Yeah, exactly. You've been misinformed. <laughs> and, and that's my thing. Either they got the green light to do it, yeah. or they just think that we soft out here. Know what I'm saying? And it's neither. Exactly. Know what I'm saying? And when I say the green light, know what I'm saying? Is it, know what I'm saying? Yeah. The police department. Know what I'm saying? Did they tell y'all that y'all, know what I'm saying? If y'all have any problems, know what I'm saying? That y'all can deal with it in any type of way y'all want to deal with it. Yeah. Know what I'm saying? Because that's the only way I see y'all doing that. Like balls to just do that. And if they did that, that's elite. Yeah. And then you got to look at, you know, most most people that come from other countries, just like us, mm-hmm. everybody here in the United States are captured people. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Either you, you've been captured and brought over here, or we done invaded your country, mm-hmm. and you done Trying turned on your country, yeah. and you ain't, you can't go over there no more, so they let you come over here. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, therefore, you're basically a war criminal yeah. you know what I'm saying? in your country, so you can't go back. So, now you might got some green light to do whatever because... You know, you help this government. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Not saying that that was the case, but you know, what I'm just going diplomatic out immunity you know or something like yeah, that. Yeah, they, they probably <laughs> he got some type of immunity. So, uh-huh. so, so we just got to just be mindful of just what's taking place in our community, and we don't know that if we by us walking and canvassing. You know what I'm saying? I, uh, the three seven two eight zip code, mm-hmm. which if people didn't know, got the highest incarceration rate in America. In America, yes, sir. That's, that's why I came from, but I yes, made sir. it. You know, luckily we made it. You in three seven two eight too, right? Making uh, close to I was it, Bardo. Around it, I was yeah, Bardo three seven two one eight. I was yeah. right over the train tracks. Okay, but still, my grandparents lived in three seven two zero eight, mm-hmm. and my auntie still is yeah. there. She still lives over there. Yes, sir. You know, yeah. so I got family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and then that. Area got the highest concentration of blacks. It's more blacks out north than in, anywhere in, in Nashville. Yeah, know what I'm saying because you go to Them schools. The schools kind of put that there too because all the schools over black two black schools. Yep. So that that may be the reason why it's the highest incarceration rate because they right count now, them too. Yeah, yeah, and you know it's a profit grab right now. Yeah, you know. So if you put somebody in the economic. Uh, where they suffering or they having issues, you know what I'm saying, mm-hmm. with, with paying bills and, and things of that nature, then you lock up a son and give him a high bond, you know what I'm saying? Now, it's either you're going to have to take care of your, your child while they're in prison or put your house up to make their bond. Yeah. And then if they run on that or whatever the case may be, now your property in jeopardy, you know what I'm saying? Then they snatch your property. Now, next yeah, time you yeah. know, you know what I'm saying? That's a, oh, you know yeah. what I'm saying? I, I ain't realize that is a setup like that. You know, yeah. high bond, you gonna, that's what you're, you know, their mama going to do that if they got the house. They're going to try to get them out. So, so it's a whole lot going on. My girl on. ain't doing it. She going to be your ass right there. <laughs> yeah. 
My mama the same way. Now I'm gonna be right there. Yeah. <laughs> she like she like if you stupid enough to do a crime without you had, a neither one of y'all went. The side, neither you or your brother y'all didn't nah, had nah. that problem. So nah, you, had a problem. you don't know. You is, never know. I, you know. Is, I, I've had to go to jail and had to make bond before, yeah. but I had bond money. Cause I made sure if I was gonna do it, yeah, I got bond money. You feel me? You know what I'm saying? Cause that's the way I was raised. She said, if you're gonna be, if you're gonna, if you're gonna do something stupid, at least be accountable. Yeah, <laughs> be yes, responsible. You know, she. That's how my mom. She just she she made she made you think of if you're gonna do it, at least be smart about it. Mm-hmm. Think it all the way through. Because mm-hmm. she's like, she, she says, I know you. If you go to jail, it was worth it. Yes, <laughs> it was worth it because I raised you. I yes, know sir. how you think. So she, she like so I know and I also know you always keep a little money to the side so just make sure you got your money ready for bond to make to make bond because I ain't paying. <laughs> she said, I'm, gonna let, I'm gonna leave you right there. All I can do is mm. throw you a prayer. That's all I got for you. <laughs> you know, and I can respect that because she's like I raised you better than that. Yes, sir. So I, I can respect that. So yeah, you boy keep the bond money. That's what you know what I'm saying. If you out there moving around in, 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 in the streets. Man. Come on. Or, or doing wrong, then you need to have bond money. I might just be in black your money. Just mm-hmm. being black eyed. Yes, head sir. Head to the side. Because yes, you never sir. know what situation here you in. And that would uh Steve Harvey say, we, we black out here. Yeah, we black out here, man. You black, man. You better have you some money put up. Steve Harvey. Because you, <laughs> you never know. Yeah. Steve Harvey lost his job talking like it on, on the air. <laughs> For real, though. That's, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, y'all make sure I got money put up. Because. <laughs> We can go to jail for being being us. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then we've seen it on video. And die for being come dying for us. being us. You yes, know what I'm saying? Not harming nobody. What they said, your boy got off. He had a seatbelt on and everything. Got killed. And everybody got off of, Yeah, for like they done nothing. You know, like it was, like that's crazy. That's when like, dude got killed with the seatbelt on, oh, oh, the police oh. killed him. Where was this at? Was that? It wasn't New York, was it? He had a seatbelt and his little girl in the back seat. Oh, you, oh, you talking about uh, 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 Castillo, Castillo up in Minnesota? Talking about the one who had the license to carry? You ain't talking about him, are you? Or this something new? It, it's old. It's oh, just yeah, a, they yeah, just got yeah, a verdict yeah, on the. Fernando Castillo. He had his daughter in the back yeah. seat and he yeah, had a seatbelt on. Yeah, yeah, his girlfriend yeah, yeah. in the car. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. And they all got off on it. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. I'm like, mm-hmm. But, but that's just. It, it, that dude that killed uh, Eric Garner, though, he got fired. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But it's crazy because I read some of the articles and stuff on the response, and some of the police was like, they shouldn't have fired him. I'm like, what? Mm-hmm. Get out of here. Hmm. Get out of here. Tell me I would have put him in sensitivity training. No. Sensitivity training. No. Dude. You know what I'm saying? Like, even after watching the video, this man choking his brother out, and killing him right there on, on camera. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's crazy. Like, and you you can bring it closer to home. Look at uh, Daniel Hambrick. Yeah, Hambrick, yeah. shot that boy yeah. in the back. You know what I'm saying? Shot him in the in, in the head. In the Pose head. no three. Yeah. In the back of the head. Back of the head. Yes, sir. Like, like for real. Yes, sir. Yeah, I saw the video. Yes, sir. A few times, and I'm like, if he get off, he just didn't want to run. Didn't feel like running after him. You know what I'm saying? You do your job, bro. Yeah. <laughs> if you go cut for real, for real, hey, you got to work. Yes, sir. You at work, bro? What? Do your job, bro. <laughs> but, but you, they got that out. That that out is, I was scared. I feel for my life. And he running away. What you scared? Hey, of? Scared of somebody running. I'm scared of a shadow. <laughs> shadow running too slow. You know what I mean? What is it? Hey, we've been playing a couple 
couple commercials, man. Y'all stay tuned. Yo, we better radio. We back at your boy Hood Rock, DJ Mackie G. Yo, we got Dr. Umar Johnson, number Hello, one activist family. and teacher of Black Unity and Black Knowledge. And you're gonna you're gonna be telling us about the the school to prison pipeline and uh, what we need to know about it. We already had Gideon's in his army, and they told their view about what they're doing about it. Doctor Umar, what is your goals on it? Well, firstly, we have to make sure that the community understands what the school to prison pipeline is, or what I'm more accurately referred to as the psychoacademic holocaust from grade school to the graveyard, which is a five-stage process that America has designed to destroy the lives of every black male in America that they can possibly get their hands on. Stage one is intentional miseducation. If you don't understand stage one, there's no need to talk about stages two through six. One is the most important. We need to be clear that the miseducation of black boys is a deliberate act of war. It is not an accident. It is not because the children don't have dads or the mothers are poor or that they're on wealthy or they live in public housing or the teachers are underpaid. That has nothing to do with it. Black boys are deliberately miseducated to make sure that they cannot challenge white males for political economic control of the American social order. So that's stage one. Stage two, special education. Mm. The deliberate evaluating and misdiagnosing of black boys with disabilities and disorders that they do not have, the most popular and most lethal of which happen to be the learning disability and ADHD. Stage three, psychiatric medication. If they can't destroy him with miseducation, if they can't destroy him with special education, they then give him the psychological handcuffs, the Ritalin, the Adderall, the Concerta, the Meditate, the Cyclers, these drugs, which are worth tens of billions of dollars to the drug companies that publicly trade on Wall Street, which destroy the mind, body, and soul of black boys, often to the point where many of them won't even be able to live a normal life. That takes us to stage four juvenile incarceration when we talk about school to prison that's exactly what we mean because the school is the number one source of fresh bodies mm-hmm. into the juvenile detention center i had a judge tell me a state new, new jersey state judge tell me to my face that most of her referrals to the prison system do not come from street police they come from the public schools themselves oh, yeah. stage five psychological frustration and alienation. This is when a boy begins to feel the effects, the psychological and spiritual effects of the psychoacademic Holocaust. He's hurt because he was told that all he had to do was go to school, do his work, behave himself, and he would be fine. He learns that that's not the truth. And moreover, he learns that black people are not organized to do anything about what's being done to him. Mm-hmm. So he's hurt, he's frustrated, and he's very, very disappointed that he's being blamed for the problems that were created, not by him, but by the system. And that takes us to stage six, the last and final stage, which is extermination, premature extermination. Black males out here killing each other, black males being killed by police, genocide, 
black males killing themselves through suicide, all because of what? Not being able to overcome the frustration and the systematic effects of the psychoacademic holocaust. Miseducation, special education, psychiatric medication, juvenile incarceration, psychological frustration, premature extermination. When you ask the question, what am I doing about it? My strategies, or should I say my war to destroy the psychoacademic holocaust has four components to it right now. The first component is me by directly educating the community like I'll be doing when I come to Nashville, mm -hmm. Tennessee, September the 7th, making sure parents have the information that they can use so that they can effectively advocate for their children. So I am a solution myself, a walking, talking solution. No school psychologist in this country has been more unapologetic or more effective in educating and equipping parents with the information they have to save our children. So I am a solution myself. Number two, my book, Psychoacademic Holocaust, the Special Education and ADHD Wars Against Black Boys, copies of which I hope to have with me in Nashville, September the 7th, and in Memphis, October the 5th. And that is a must-read book for any black person raising black children because it is the only book, I repeat, the only book in print ever written in this country, 400 years, that teaches black parents how to legally and effectively defeat the psychoacademic holocaust. Number mm. three is the National Independent Black Parent Association, an organization we founded in Baltimore in 2016 to organize black parents in every city, every district, every town, every state, so that we can fight back effectively against the psychoacademic holocaust. Each chapter has a set of committees. There's a special ed committee to fight against special ed exploitation. There's a discipline committee to fight against the unnecessary suspensions and expulsions of black children. There's a policy committee to change the policies in the schools that abuse our babies. There's a finance committee to investigate how to spend the money that they get from our tax dollars. There's a social action committee to help our parents access resources they need so they can feed their children, clothe mm, their children, yeah. and put a roof over their children's heads. And then there is also a parent advocacy committee where we go into the schools with our parents and we help them fight to protect their children. And the last committee is a homeschooling committee where we organize with parents who want to homeschool their children, pull them out of the psychoacademic holocaust mm. environment, and give them a revolutionary pan-Africanist education. So anyone listening in the good state of Tennessee who's interested in being a part of the National Independent Black Parent Association, it could come on out September 7th. And number four is the fact that I often offer regularly free black parent teleconferences. I haven't done them in a while because I've been so busy with the Frederick Douglass Marcus Garvey Academy. Okay. And I offer these black parent teleconferences to help our parents fight for their children where they can call in and ask me any question they need in order to help their child. And if they need private one-on-one -on -one consultation, something that they need to discuss that they don't feel comfortable sharing with the public, they can schedule private consultation with me. And number five, last but not least, is the Frederick Douglass and Marcus Garvey RBG International Leadership Academy for Black Boys. We have achieved our goal on February the 7th 
exactly one week before the birth of the greatest black leader in American history, my cousin and uncle, the Honorable Frederick Douglass. We purchased two schools in Wilmington, Delaware. We had the Marcus Garvey School right across the street from the Frederick Douglass School. Two schools, four buildings. We have achieved our goal, but we're not done because we're now trying to raise a million dollars to renovate those buildings in time to open up the school next August the 21st when we celebrate the 100 years of the red, black, and green Marcus Garvey flag. So anyone who wants to make a donation to the liberation of the minds of black boys can send a check of money order payable to the FDMG Academy, the P.O. Box 9634, Wilmington, Delaware, 19809. I repeat, P.O. Box 9634, Wilmington, Delaware, 19809. They can also use the cash app, cash.me slash dollar sign FDMG school. Again, that is cash.me slash dollar sign FDMG school. If they want to work at the school, they can send their resumes to FDMGresumes at gmail.com. If anyone needs to reach out to me directly, they can do so through the website, drumarjohnson.com. They can also text message me, 215 215- 989-9858, again, 215-989-9858, or they can call the 800 number, 844-DR-UMAR. That's 844-DRUMAR. And, and you'll be live at the Soul Day. Is that what it's called? Absolutely. Soul Day. Saturday. Soul Day, Nashville Soul Day. By the way, I've only been in Nashville once. Okay. I've only spoken in Nashville once. It was at Fisk University. That was in 2015, I believe. 2014 or 15. Okay. And what I was told, it was one of the largest indoor attendances they have ever had at that university for a a scholar. Okay. That was not funded by the university or funded by the university. The gym was jam-packed. We was in a gym, and the gym was standing room only. I was told that it was unofficially, could have possibly been the largest lecture they've ever had for a scholar in the school's history. Mm-hmm. That includes W.E.B. Du Bois, but definitely in recent history, I was told by people who work at the university that they had never seen that many black people come out to Fisk for a black conscious lecture. So this is my first time in four or five years coming back to Nashville. I did a lot of love in Tennessee, just got invited to come to Memphis October 5th. And I'm just looking forward to coming on back to Nashville. So Tennessee got me twice, which I'm happy to say because I haven't been to Tennessee a lot. There's some states I haven't had a chance to spend a lot of time in, even though I get a lot of love there. Mm-hmm. Tennessee is one of them. So September 7th, Nashville Soul Day, the Prince of Pan-Africanism will be in the building. Yeah, we got the two black schools in that same vicinity. So they, they probably all came out to that. And they'll probably be coming back out on this Soul Day. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I'm looking forward to it. I'm definitely, you know, I don't consider this work that I do. I don't take it lightly. Um, it's not a game to me. It is very much a life or death situation for us as a people. Uh, I was just in Nat Turner land 48 mm-hmm. hours ago, celebrating the 400th year of black people in this country under North American British white supremacy. Yeah. And as I told the brothers and sisters down in Nat Turner land, which obviously August the 21st is also the uh, anniversary of the Nat Turner War, the Haitian Revolution, the George Jackson Prison War, as well as the Frederick Douglass Few Years Late Convention. 
that this century here, and we're only two days now, we're two days into the fifth century for black people in this country, this century here is going to be a century for survival. This is going to be a century for survival. See, we've had four stages in our sojourn in America. Mm -hmm. Our first century was a century of shock. We tried to understand what the hell happened and what we were going through. Yeah. Century number one, 1619 to 1719, that was shock. Century number two, 1719 to 1819, that was a fight for our humanity. Black people had to fight to prove that we were people. 1819 to 1919, that was a fight for our liberty. 1919 to 2019, that was a fight for our equality. And now we are in our fifth century, 2019 to 2119, and that is a fight for African survival. Wow. And uh, on that note, and your school, I know it's going to be, you're not going to have one across the country, so are you going to do like something for kids to go to the school online since online and is so I'm big? To do, first of all, I'm not a big fan of online schools. Um, I'm a very much an old-fashioned Booker T. Washington, Carter G. Woodson type of an educator. I believe that people teach people, not computers, not laptops, not screens. We do it. So I'm not a big fan of online schools. In fact, there's no literature that proves online school is better than a real in-your-face school. The reason online schools are so popular is because they don't cost a lot of money to operate. It's about money. Mm -hmm. It's not about uh, properly educating the child. It's about money. With that being said, though, because I do recognize the urgency of the moment, when we do open up school number one, the mother campus in Wilmington, Delaware, Harriet Tubman, Frederick Douglass City, I only say that because they spent much time there. But when we open up the mother campus in Delaware, we do plan to build a virtual school. And what I mean by virtual school is that rather than being taught by a laptop, the child will be able to patch in visually into the classroom as if he or she is in the classroom because we plan to open up the Anna Douglas and Amy Garvey Academy. Mm -hmm. We've gotten the Frederick Douglass Marcus Garvey Academy up and running, but they'll be able to patch into the class by way of their computer or, 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 or television. And then their classmates can see them. They can see their classmates. They can see their teachers and they can talk. Okay, they can be taught long distance or so be a distance learning environment versus an online school. That is definitely something that we will be creating. All right. That's what we're going to need in Nashville because somebody, once you come to speak with people, I already know about school because I haven't seen a, a lot of video you talking about the school. So I, I know it's a lot of people trying to be a part of it and try to get their kids. And I want to thank some Black real learning, you know. Because over these past five years, I received a lot of donations from the state of Tennessee, brother, a lot. They came from Chattanooga, Memphis, Nashville, Knoxville, you name it. I got a lot of donations, brother. A lot of brothers and sisters across that state and every milk and cranny. They sent in checks. They sent in money orders. They were going to go fund me. Now we have the cash actually shot opportunity. I'm going to have to do my research. But if my preliminary conclusion is correct. SDMG will be the first school in American history and possibly in Pan-African history where the school was funded by every black community in the world. 
I okay. think we will be the first school ever that was funded by every black community in the world. We receive donations from Africa, Europe, Australia, the Caribbean, Central America, North America, South America, the South Pacific. I believe, and, I'll, and, and we have records of this, so I just need to go back and check. I believe that we've gotten a donation from every state, from every country, from every continent. Whoa. I don't know of another school, except maybe Garvey's, because in the Garvey days, we had the Booker T. Washington University and the Universal Liberty University. So except for maybe Garvey's, okay, maybe the Honorable Marcus Garvey schools may have been funded from every state, every country, every continent. I need to check on that, but mine certainly was. So if I'm not the first, I'm going to be the second. Mm. You've already made history in the school that I don't well, we got we got some uh, representative from the Gideon's Army, which is the activist movement that walks around in the city and make sure everybody's uh, taken care of, and they're in the mayor's office there er, everywhere. So we got LT. He's gonna ask you a question. Yes, sir. How you doing, brother? Peace and love, black man. Peace and love. Yes, uh, I, I heard you mention George Jackson, and that's that's one of my my prophets. Because uh, yes, me and my uh, comrades, we are uh, paying homage and recognition to Black August. Uh, are you familiar with Black August, brother? Yes, sir. I'm very familiar with it, of course. Um, yes. There's so many different Black August conceptualizations out there. Some people have a Black August that's dedicated exclusively to George Jackson and his brother Jonathan. Others have a Black August that's dedicated exclusively to Nat Turner, others the Haitian Revolution. And then there's some who are more Pan-African and collective with it, where they celebrate all of the great events and lives that came into the world. Ancestors who were either born in August or who participated in great moments in our struggle that occurred during the month of August. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And 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 the latter is what we are paying homage to. All 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 the ones who made the ultimate sacrifice and participated in the struggle for us to still be in existence. And my question to you, I know you said that you will be taking applications. Would you be uh, hiring convicted felons? That's going to depend on state law, which we're currently investigating. I'm sure I can. The question is to what extent can they be involved directly with the school? So, for example, uh, you can often have a convicted felon as long as it wasn't uh, sex abuse, child abuse, anything like that. Yes, sir. You could have them involved in non-instructional positions, security, janitor, uh, groundskeeping, stock, bus drivers. They can do those types of things. Because I am private and I don't take federal money at all, I should have more freedom than anyone else uh, with regard to hiring excellence. The question is I have to find out to what extent that I can do that. Needless to say, they're going to be watching everything I do with a fine-tooth comb, especially since the school is in the very same city where likely Democratic frontrunner Joe Biden is from. The former vice president lives in Wilmington, not far from the campus. So they're watching everything that I do. In fact, every time I show up at the school, a, a, a city uh, van or car goes down that street. So I think they got cameras all over my campus anyway, because there's no way someone I'll pull up, you know I'm there within less than five minutes running down the block. Mind you, I don't have any neighbors. The block is exclusively ours, which is what I like about it. There's no houses, no other business. That whole block is up. In fact, I renamed it E5 Tunde Avenue. Mm -hmm. So 
there's no way for anybody to call them and tell them I'm there because nobody's there. So I think they got cameras on me already, brother. I believe that black identity extremist list, I know I'm at the top of that um, because more than just the rhetoric, I do the work. Y'all probably at the top of it right with me. For those who do the work at the top of the yeah, Gideon's army up there. Running their mouth. You know, they're not worried about them because they know they're just looking for attention and uh, income. They're not trying to make any transformations. But for people who are actually on the ground making transformations, who have the support of the people, we are the ones they're really concerned about, not the YouTube talking heads. Yes, sir. And, and that's what our organization uh, is about. We we boots on the ground. We we uh, cameras our community, the 37208 zip code. I don't know if you know about the 37208 zip code, which has the highest incarceration rate in America, and that's here in North Nashville. That's, that's the same that. area where Fisk and yeah, Fisk yeah, 3728. Exactly. exactly. That's where Fisk where University, Tennessee State University, Meharry, uh Medical College, all of that right there uh, is in the 37208 zip code. That's why you get a big turnout. Are. I forgot about Meharry, yeah. too, over there. To that point on yeah. mass incarceration, um, one of the things I'm going to be doing this year, and I'm going to take it very seriously because I've been talking about it for a couple of years, but I'm going to move on to this year, and that is the ex-offender task force that I want to build. It's time to organize the ex-offenders. I think the ex-offenders are an untapped resource of unlimited power and pressure that we can bring the bear to change things in this country for black folks. Because most black folks are scared of white folks. Most of them are scared to go to jail. Ex-offenders have been to jail. Ex-offenders have already had their run-ins with the law, run-ins with the police, run-ins with the power structure. In other words, they've already been there and done that. They are our most revolutionary-minded, and many of them are our most intelligent brothers and sisters because those years that they spent behind bars, they actually used it as an opportunity to detox their minds and they were able to re-educate themselves, as our brother L. Hodge Malcolm X did when he was behind bars. So for me, I think the ex-offenders are the vanguard of the revolutionary struggle, not the side arm of the revolutionary struggle. See, one of the problems we have as a people is we have bought into the black bourgeoisie dictatorship of the black struggle. So um, over, under the past 50 years, since the assassination of Dr. King, we have looked to the educated elite and the economic elite to save us and to guide us. But as the late great Dr. Carter G. Woodson said, father of black history, whose house we just visited in DC this past week with my E5 Day University course on Pan-Africanism, uh, Dr. Woodson told us in Miseducation of the Negro that those who are the most educated amongst us are also least likely, least likely to participate in our struggle. So we have to transform the narrative and transform the mindset that has black people continuously looking towards bourgeoisie for solutions. You're not going to get any solutions from the bourgeoisie because they make their living catering to and protecting the status quo. Mm, yeah. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And uh, this LT uh, still talking to you from Gideon's Army. I just served 20 years in federal prison. I was sentenced to life in prison in 1997. Uh, my sentence got overturned from life to 24 years when they changed the crack law in 2009, well, 2008. So, and I got a me release in 2016 uh, up under drug minus two. So, you know, my thing is, and my fight, 
why I'm out here is to represent the brothers that I left behind who still got life, who who fighting to get up out of there, and brothers who in the state who got life or got long sentences. I want to be the example to show that brothers can change and brothers can be out here and be part of the solution as opposed to being a pro, uh, part of the problem. And that's what sure. we doing here and getting his army. We pushing this movement and we, we trying to link up with whoever, you know what I'm saying, got some great ideas and got some courage and got some boldness to speak truth to power and put overalls on your words. Absolutely. Powerful, powerful. I'm with that. Uh, hopefully while I'm down there, I won't be there long, but I hope there's an opportunity for those who are serious about the movement, who are more interested in change versus pushing their particular doctrine or ideology. I hope there's an opportunity for us to politic, even if it's just for an hour or so, whether it's a brunch or a late dinner, whatever the case may be. But um, I would love to meet with brothers and sisters who are about that work. And I would like it to be diverse, meaning I don't just want one organization. I want a collection of them. It only needs to be one or two representatives from each one. But I, I like it to be a collection of them, but only the serious ones. I mean, if it's a bourgeoisie movement, if they're white funded, then that's pretty much a sign that they don't need to be at the table. Because as far as I'm concerned, if you're being funded by the enemy, you're not interested in defeating the enemy. Because if the enemy gets defeated, you lose your funding. So only those who are economically independent and ideologically dependent, those are the ones I would very much be interested in meeting with on September the 7th. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. We're, we're, we're look forward to seeing you on the 7th, right? Yeah, September 7th, September Saturday. 7th, yeah. Nashville Soul Day. The Prince of Pan-Africanism. September 7th, come on out. I will be out there. Looking forward to meeting all my brothers and sisters. And that's East Park, right? Organizers, activists, orators, the whole nine. This is our century right here. We are the first. We are the very first of our race to live through the beginning of our fifth century in this country. That is very, very significant because we are the first leg of this new race. This is a four by four. The first 25 years of the fifth century, the second 25 years, the third 25 years, and the last 25 years. We got the first leg. We got the baton first. We got the baton first. And the question is, what are we going to do with it? We're already 20 years into the 21st century, but now we're talking about being two days into the fifth century of black people in this country. So we have to really buckle down and get something done because when we dead and gone, I don't want it to be said about us that they had an opportunity to set us upright with a strong foundation mm -hmm. and we failed our people. Because what we do or don't do this century here is going to dictate black survival, not only in America, but across the planet because the whole African race looks to the black man and woman in America for their leadership. We just came back from Ghana two weeks ago. They look to us for leadership. I'll be going to Brazil and Colombia later this year. They look to us for leadership. I'll be going over to Europe, Brussels, Belgium in the next month. They look to us for leadership. Everywhere I go, and I've spoken on every continent except Australia, but I'm in communication with brothers and sisters from Australia. Everywhere we go, they look to us for leadership. So when we fail, we don't fail ourselves. And we don't fail black America. We fail the race. And we cannot afford to let that happen.
We got another Gideon the Army movement leader who, who just came in. Yeah, how you doc, how you doing, Doctor? Uh, I'm a, I'm a student, and I I just want to say I really appreciate it, and we are really excited about you getting down here. Um, something very particular about what's going on here is is I heard you talk about we live in a in a in an era of survival, and down in Nashville we've had so many gains and so many wins that we're thriving at this point in time. It's not perfect, but we move, we move in towards a place where we are able to exist and able to have the ability to make a mistake. Cause a lot of the times out here as black folks, we we don't have, we can't make mistakes because those mistakes we pay with our lives. So I really do appreciate you, brother. I learn a lot and I'm, and I'm glad you coming down here. And like you said earlier, man, I really hope we get a chance to connect and build together. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. And again, if anyone, you know, needs to reach me uh, personally, whether it's a parent with an issue with their child, special ed, ADHD, learning disability, autism, vaccination, evaluation, IEP, that's my expertise, mental health and education. My doctorate is clinical psychology. I'm a certified school psychologist as well as a certified school principal. So anything I can do to help the black family down in that part of Tennessee and throughout the whole world. Mm-hmm. Please feel free to call on the activists, organizers. They're going to bounce some ideas off me. Other people with radio shows are going to bring me on for a conscious, serious mm-hmm. conversation. Feel free to reach out to me. Again, that my cell number, my personal cell number is 215-989-9858. Again, 215 Nine eight five eight. Just to let the family know, I'll be speaking tomorrow in Linden, New Jersey. They have a Black Family Festival up in Linden, New Jersey. I'll be keynoting that. Then I'll be in Jacksonville, Florida, next Friday, August the thirtieth. Orlando, Florida, the day after, August the thirty-first. And then it's off to Nashville, Nashville full day. Then from there, I'm in Bridgeport, Connecticut, for a back-to-school seminar. Then it's off to Europe, Brussels, Belgium. To organize the Pan-Africanist in Europe. Appreciate that, Doc. And I hope people really do reach out to you, man. I have one quick question. Something that you just sure. said about bouncing ideas out of um, what we do at Gideon's Army is we all of our programs are an attempt to dismantle the school to prison pipeline. So we do a lot of creative things as far as pressing pushing those levers in order to disrupt our kids going into the prison system. So my question to you is. How would you change the way our current justice system functions? You said, how would I change the, say that again, I'm sorry. Yeah, how would you, cha- how would you change our current justice system? Okay. Well, first of all, we don't have a justice system. We have a criminal injustice system. The system itself is criminal. We have a criminal injustice system. Three things. Number one, capitalism has no right to be investing in crime. When the capitalists are allowed to invest in crime, then the capitalists become the criminals and they manufacture the crime in Mm. order to create victims that they can exploit for financial gain. In a country that claims to be about justice and freedom, how in the hell can you allow people to invest in crime by way of private prisons, by way of private parole systems and probation systems and by doing business with the prisons and allowing your corporations to pay prisoners, underpaid prisoners, to get products made so that they don't have to pay 
regular Americans and American Africans a decent livable wage outside of the jail. That's number one. No one should be allowed to invest in crime because when you invest in crime, you're going to have to manufacture crime because capitalism is about supply and demand. Supply and demand. You make the supply based on the demand. That means you're going to have to create a demand for prison in order to get rich off of it. So that's number one. Okay. Number two. All right. The other thing that needs to happen is most of the laws that are mass incarcerating black men and black women need to be changed, overturned, modified, or destroyed. Okay, that's number two. There are too many people in jail for petty crimes for which they should not even be in jail. That's number two. Number three, you have to get rid of mandatory minimum sentencing because mandatory minimum sentencing eliminates the discretionary power of the judge or the DA. Okay, not that they're on our side, but a brother or sister standing in front of a sentence, okay, is more, is better able to plead or their attorney is better able to plead a better deal if they can negotiate with a living, a living, breathing person. Mm-hmm. When someone tells you that he did this crime, so he automatically got to get 10 years, irrespective of the extenuating circumstances, she did this crime, so she automatically has to get five years irregardless of the extenuating circumstances, that is injustice. That is injustice. So we have to eliminate mandatory minimum sentencing. We also have to eliminate the plea bargaining system. The plea bargaining system is so corrupt that it exploits impoverished African people who can't afford to pay for a decent defense. So they use fear tactics and fear tactics to convince us to cut deals that end up hurting us more than helping us, then the reason we're cutting them deals is because we can't afford to pay for decent representation. Also, there needs to be a fight. There needs to be a fight to enforce the constitutional right, okay, to a speedy trial. How can you say the Constitution guarantees us a speedy trial when you got Africans right now sitting behind bars all across this country who have committed no crime? simply have been charged, and they've been sitting behind the prisons for one year, two years, three years, four years, waiting to see the judge. They haven't even been adjudicated. They haven't even been seen yet. No hearing, simply waiting there because an overcrowded criminal justice system is denying them their right to a constitutionally protected speedy trial. So, I mean, there's so many things you can point out with this. Another change to the system, once someone, in my opinion, has served their time. If you feel the need to have them on probation or parole for five years after that, no problem. Keep them on for five. If it was a serious crime and you need to do 10, okay, keep them on for 10. But once they have served out their sentence and their parole or probation period, their record should be expunged. It doesn't have to be thrown away, but it should be hidden from public view and should not in any way be visible to people who will be responsible for giving them opportunities or giving them employment. No employer should see the record of anyone who has served their time and served their parole and been clean for five years. There needs to be a move for a national expungement act that expunges records after five years of being clean, except for sex offenders. That's what I'm about to say. We have a lot of a lot of our listeners are incarcerated from the Tennessee area. So you have anything to say to motivate them? Keep yeah. their head up. 
That's number one. Keep your head up. Number two, incarceration forces you to become an entrepreneur. Incarceration forces you to become an entrepreneur. That is the silver lining. Of course, you need a job to get started so you can raise some capital so you can start building and growing and expanding your business. But it does force you to be an entrepreneur, which means when a brother or sister come out of prison, the good news, the bad news is they may, they're going to have a difficult time finding a job. That's the bad news. The good news is that when they do get a job, they're going to ultimately end up working for themselves. And that's one of the things I want to do with the Ex-Offender Task Force. I want to start empowering brothers and sisters to start opening up their own businesses and by having our celebrities, our rappers and athletes and actors finance, create a system so they can apply for a small business loan so they can get their business off their feet. That's one of the things I want to do. Yeah, if we can get them to do that, that'll work. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. But we're going to get them to do it. I mean, a lot of the celebrities, they hit me up all the time. I was just contacted by a celebrity the other day. I don't want to call his name. Um, and, and, and they're watching us. They're watching us. Uh, they're watching me. Um, and basically, the message I'm getting from them is they want to see how serious I am. Because what I'm getting from them is, listen, we are in a delicate place. We want to help. But before we stick our necks out there, we got to know that you're serious. And we got to know that you got to know that your program is serious. That's the overwhelming message I'm getting from the celebrity class. You know, so um, I'm 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 going to uh, I'm going to put them on the spot. Once I'm ready, I'm going to put them on the spot and make them show and prove. Mm. They, they everybody knows the time is now. I believe this century right here is our time because it's either it's either win or die. There's no other option. Frederick Douglass once said, "My ancestor," he said, "quote Either we must enjoy all the rights." guaranteed to American people or we must be exterminated for never again shall we be slaves never again and I and I agree wholeheartedly with that we don't want we don't want half the rights a quarter of the rights not nah. Harry Tubman said what give me freedom of death and if I can't have one I'm a damn sure I have the other hmm. think what they say to the number one FBI looked at people or people looking for black knowledge. Oh, yeah. I don't understand that. Very uncomfortable with the climate of black consciousness to an extent because they understand what they went through in the 60s with H. Rap Brown and Stokely Carmichael and SNCC and Cool and the SBLC. They understood that the black power movement of the 60s almost brought America to the point of collapse. They don't want that to happen. So they're monitoring black consciousness very closely. However, at the same time, they are at peace. Although they are keeping an eye on us, they're not as anxious as they were in the 60s because they recognize that most of the leading personalities in the black conscious movement are only after money and status. Mm. So they know that most of the people they see on YouTube ain't going to do a damn thing to hurt <laughs> white supremacy. Okay, uh, They know that. But then they see those of us on the grassroots, on the front lines, the ones that ain't spending 24 hours on YouTube. Because if you're on YouTube all day, you damn sure ain't doing no work. You can't do both. There's no way you are making video after video after video and you are of use to your community. It's no way. It's okay to do it, but this should be a balance. When all you do is make videos, you ain't doing no work. I don't even have a YouTube channel. I have more videos on YouTube than any living black scholar in the world. There's mm. no scholar alive that has more videos than me on YouTube, and I don't even have a channel, nor do I post my own videos. 
that's because of the love that I get from the people. The people consider my work to be so important that they post it. You see, I don't even have a YouTube channel because I'm doing work. I don't have time for that. See, when you're serious, you're out working. You don't have time to sit there. The Honorable Marcus Garvey never wrote an autobiography because he didn't have time to, you see. So the workers are not the talkers, you know. And, and one of the things we're going to have to do and get real serious about, we're going to have to put a line in the sand. We're going to have to decide who is which one. Because there's no way you can just say it. You can sit in self-conscious, come on out for the struggle. No, I'm not doing that. Because half the Negroes talking about black consciousness, they're not serious. They're not trying to change nothing. So they're not struggling with me because they're not about struggle. They are about entertainment, making money. So we're going to have to put a line in the sand and say, listen, who are, where the workers at? And if you consider yourself to be a worker, what have you done? And you cannot list teaching as an activity. What have you done? And you cannot list teaching as a, you know, well, I make videos for people. I write books now, man. Nah, that's not enough no more. That was enough the last century. This century is new rules to this game. In this century, writing books, articles, and running your mouth on YouTube and giving speeches, that no longer is considered conscious activism. No more. And I do all of those. But guess what? My work is more extensive than any of those. I speak around the world more than any scholar on this planet of our race. No one gets requested to speak more than Dr. Umar on the planet. But guess what? My work in the street is even significantly greater than the speeches I give. So I don't even want the speeches. That Don't even put that on the resume because that's preparation for the struggle. That ain't struggle. Struggle is when you're out there organizing the people. Struggle is when you confront white supremacy systematically or otherwise. Teaching and educating is important. I want to make sure I'm clear. It is very important, but it can no longer be considered struggle. It is preparation for the struggle. What are you doing besides teaching? That's the question that has to be asked. So uh, for all the people listening who want to participate, what should they do to start? Well, number one, education and economics. Everything begins with education and economics. Until we get the money right, nothing else won't be right. And we don't have to wait for reparations to get our economics together either. I'm tired of people thinking that until we get reparations, we can't do nothing. That's not we are a $2 trillion people. We are the richest group of Africans in the world. We are the 10th richest nation on the planet. We don't have to wait for reparations. Yes, we are entitled to reparations. Yes, we should continue to fight for reparations. But we do not have to wait for reparations to get our economic act together. So that's number one. Get your economics together. In fact, I would go so far as to say until black people have their economics together, they're not serious. They're not serious. You're not changing anything about them if you don't change the mind or the money habits. You got to change change the way we think and you got to change the way we spend. If you don't change those two things, nothing else will happen. Nothing else will happen. So you need education and economics. Education changes the mind. Economic systems building economically and educating our people economically and organizing economically. That's how you that's how you save the race. It takes money to do what we're doing. It takes money to build yeah. banks. It takes money to build hospitals. It takes money to employ our people. It takes money for factories. It takes money for schools. Hell, I know that better than anybody else. I still need a million dollars to finish this FDMG project in Wilmington, Delaware. We got the building, but now we have to restore the building. So without money and education, nothing else. Those are the first two things. Black people running out 
uh, trying to figure out who they're going to vote for, who's going to be the next president. It don't even matter. Because yeah. if your money not in order, nobody's taking you seriously anyway. That's why black people are routinely ignored by every politician, black and white, in this country. All of them ignore you, Obama included, and they always will. You know why? Because they know you are not financially organized to make them suffer if they don't carry out the black agenda. Nobody mm. got to take you seriously. Yeah. Until you got a million dollars to fund a campaign, two million dollars to fund a campaign, a million dollars to keep a politician out of jail for standing up for black folks, if you ain't got money to pay this game off, you can't win this game. You can't win this, this game is about money, not votes. If you ain't got the money, you don't get the vote. Why do you think every president has been a millionaire? Every president has been a millionaire. Every senator is a millionaire. That ain't no coincidence. It takes money to play politics. Black people getting into politics, trying to get money out of politics. You don't get money from the politician. You give money to the politician to carry out your agenda. So on the ground level, somebody trying to start a business, I know everybody been talking about black banks. Uh, we need the black is, banks, but we can start with the credit union. It only costs a half million dollars to start a credit union. Hmm. Half million dollars get you a credit union. But again, black people have to reorganize their economic habits. That's, 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 that's where we're going wrong at. we got to reorganize our economic habits. And our values have to change. That's where the education meets the economics. Because right now, black people's values are all about copying white folks' lifestyles. Our whole value system is about co copying white folks' lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Why you got to have on George? Why you got to have on the latest Louis bag, $500 jeans? Why is that necessary? It's necessary because I've been taught that in order to be somebody in this world, in order to be somebody, I have to buy the things that white people make. So white people decide how important you are. And importance is based on how much of their junk you can afford to buy. That's what we've come to. That's what we've come to, and we have to change it. Yeah, like like you, brother. I'm a I'm a student of history, just like you. So I know that there's been other times, especially during the '60s, and we kind of talked about it earlier, where we've been highly organized to an extent. So my question is, is just what mistakes were made in the past that we can learn from? Well, after they killed King, the United States government decided to re organize this approach to black oppression and they decided that it would be better to use blacks to oppress blacks now they've always had a black bourgeoisie but they would create a whole new bourgeoisie that was so well financed by the united states government that it would put progressive black politics grassroots politics out of business forever and so what they did after kill king was they upgraded and promoted a whole new army of black coons a whole new army of black coons they start letting us into the white universities. We would get the degrees. They would give us the scholarships. We would come back and serve masses agenda. Okay. That's why when I see black kids getting all these scholarships for college, I'm always concerned about who gave them the scholarship. Because when white folks feed your kids, your kids become loyal to white folks. When white folks feed your kids, your kids become loyal to white folks. So first thing they did in the 1970s was they economically destroyed the black community. They went into the black community and they took out all the factory jobs and they took out all the trade skill training programs in the high schools. And the reason they economically destroyed the black community in the 70s was to make sure that we could not finance our own liberation. Because remember, all the organizations that fought for us were not financed by the government. They were financed by black folks. And we were able to finance them because we were business owners. 
We were tradesmen and women. We were plumbers and electricians and carpenters and auto mechanics and welders. We were bakers and barbers. We had our own business, but we couldn't get fired for financing UEP Newton. We couldn't get fired for financing HRAP Brown. We couldn't get fired for financing Stokely Carmichael because we made our own money and the black community was our custom. The black community was our custom. They said in order to neutralize black power, you got to neutralize the black dollar. The white man said in order to neutralize black power, you have to neutralize the black dollar. And that's exactly what they did. They destroyed the black man's ability to take care of his family. They made the black man economically irrelevant in the 1970s. And then in the 1980s, they dropped off the crack. And in the 1990s, Bill Clinton came with his anti-crime bill. And then in the year 2000, George Bush came with his federal anti-violence initiative, with his um, faith-based initiative and stopped funding black churches. Mm. Then they gave us the knockout blow in 2010, and that was Barack Hussein Obama. Put Negroes to sleep for eight years and let white folks steal everything they could, gentrify the community, homosexualize our kids, mass incarcerate our men, destroy our women, and now we look at us now. We damn near in the 60s again. And why? We took a nap so a black president could have a comfortable presidency. Barack Obama should have never been president. And I don't ever want to see another black president for the rest of my life. And why don't I? Because anybody who sits in the White House, his job is to serve white supremacy. I don't care what color they are. So why do I want to see a black first face saving my enemy? Keep the president white so black people understand who's in charge. When you put black people in white positions, it gives the illusion of inclusion. And the last thing we need is another illusion to keep us from our so 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 I don't I don't want I don't want to get your get your words confused, brother. So 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 you're saying like keep the government white? Keep the government white? Why do I want somebody black in government? Let me let me let me say that a minute. How has blacks in the government been able to black people? If there's an answer to that, I'd like to hear it. Now I'm a political science major. Because last time I checked, everything we got is black people. We got through blood. You can't name one thing we got through blood. Nothing. You got out of slavery through blood. You got the Civil Rights Bill through blood. You got the Voting Rights Act through blood. Nat Turner shook the foundation of slavery. And it was the Nat Turner War that destroyed slavery, scared white folks so much that in 35 years, slavery was over. How did Nat Turner do that? Through blood. If you can show me a significant change to the black experience in America that we got through politics and not blood and street protests, I want to hear what it is. I'm not aware of it. I'm not aware of any change we got that we didn't pay for it in blood. And guess what? You're going to pay for every other change you got in blood. This police genocide we got going on, you think you could vote that away? Name the presidential policy, the presidential candidate, Democrat, Republican, Libertarian, Green Party. Can you name the presidential candidate who is who has stated that they have a program to deal with police genocide. So, has no, Cory okay. Booker stated she's got a program for police genocide? Hell no. Has Kamala Harris right. stated she got a, a program, a, a plan to deal with police genocide? Hell no. Has Bernie Sanders stated she has a pro- None of them. None of them. You know why? Because everybody knows, but nobody wants to say it, that the only way black people want to stop police genocide is the same way they stop slavery, through blood. Yeah, yeah, and and I and I and I'm curious on what the brother LT thinks. Like when I when I get done rapping, but 
I'm just curious about like how we stop from sounding like the oppressor because we know we all got the oppressor in us. Like like we said, we've navigated white supremacy for the majority of our lives. The ones who are still out here and the ones that are listening that are blessed enough to still be around today. And me myself, I grew up I'm southern all the way to the core. So so sometimes some some people say verbiage and, and words that sound like my racist neighbor that I grew up beside. So that's why I was just asking for more clarity and clarification on what you meant, brother, because I know your intentions are great. You know what I'm saying? Like I said before, I consider myself a student and, and come in the name of love. So I'm just, that's why I was curious on clarifying on what exactly you meant, you know, because it's, it's bloody in my neighborhood, you know, so like the blood is being spilt and most of the people that are spilling the blood look that's like me. That's not blood being spilt for black liberation. That's blood that's being spilt out of economic desperation and self-hatred. In other words, you got black people killing black people because of self-hate and economic desperation, meaning I'm selling this crack because I got to feed my children. You understand? I'm going to take that man life because him pumping on my block is cutting into my cash flow and I got to feed these kids. It's most, most crime in the black community is directly or indirectly related to economic desperation. Happy people don't kill people. Only hurt people hurt people. So we have to realize that a lot of the chaos in our community is externally created by orchestrating economic desperation. And they're going to keep on yeah. intensifying the economic desperation to intensify the black-on-black crime. You see? So the crime that we see in our community isn't being done for our best interest. It's being done against us. Okay? We are killing each other in service of white supremacy. Because we damn sure ain't hurting nobody but each other. Ain't nothing revolutionary about that. As the late great black psychologist and greatest scholar of the second half of the 20th century, as far as I'm concerned, the late great Dr. Amos Wilson said a black man that kills another black man is a black man with a white spirit. He's operating in the interest of his oppressor. So we got to understand this progressive violence and this non-progressive violence, but I don't advocate violence as the first stage of liberation. I want to be clear because I choose my words very carefully. Okay, black people cannot win an armed struggle against the United States government, but that's not the first line of struggle anyway. Violence is the final. Anyone who knows military science understands that violence is the last confrontation. It's not the first one. What does Sun Tzu say? Sun Tzu say the greatest general wins the war without even shooting a gun. This is strategy and tactics. There's a political war we got to win. There's an economic war we got to win. There's a psychological war we got to win. There's a community war we got to win. There's an intellectual war we got to win. Once you get all your ducks lined up, once we organize ourselves, then you will have to fight your oppressor. And how do I, how can Dr. Umar say, three days into our fifth century, that he knows we're gonna have to fight white folks once we fix our situation? Because they had to fight him in Rosewood, Florida. I know because they had to fight him in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I know because they had to fight him in Wilmington, North Carolina. I know because they had to fight them. And every black Wall Street he had, the whites came in to destroy it. And why did they do that? Because white supremacy cannot tolerate black power. Let me say it again. White power and black power cannot coexist. Because white power believes in total domination of all non-white people. We don't have a problem with white people having white power over themselves because we are not a, a, a race of domination. 
We don't dominate people. We believe in justice and equality. So we don't mind white power next door to black power. Mm-hmm. That don't bother us. But for them, it does. Because they are a neurotic people. They are a psychologically neurotic people with a deep insecurity complex that grows out of their experience in the ice. And because of that, they cannot tolerate black power next to white power. Nah, for sure, brother. And, and, the reason they're not at war with you as, in, as aggressively as they could be, and don't get me wrong, it's aggressive. But the reason they're not at war with you as aggressively as they can be is because you don't pose a political economic threat to their rule. That's the only reason why black people have even a degree of peace right now. But the minute you get your own schools, the minute you employ your own people, the minute you got your economics together, oh, you better get ready to fight because they're coming to destroy you. Mm-hmm. White power has never tolerated black power and it never will. Yeah, yeah, we we kind of say internally in our organization, all power to all people. You know what I'm saying? Um, and all power to you, just like you were talking about. Like everybody should have the power to self present. Um, self determination. Absolutely, and also just like here in Nashville, we have gigantic food deserts, and like you were talking about before, like access to those resources usually are drivers to that violence. So in areas here where we have large food deserts, or they become food deserts after nine o'clock, where the only fresh resource is quick sacks, those gas station markets, yeah. corner yeah. stores, um, those areas they have a high tendency of, of violence just straight up and and it's and it's and it's difficult like you talked about before of, of getting those resources in this white supremacy world because they've monetized that violence because we do live in a capitalist society and everything is about capitalizing off of the capital that you can create with your momentum um and so now nah, we all on the same page brother as far as the driving of the violence absolutely Absolutely. Our biggest fight, though, this is as true spiritually as it is politically, family. Our biggest fight is not with our enemies. It's with ourselves. Let me be clear. Our enemy is our enemy. And he is, without question, our biggest problem. Let me be clear. But your biggest fight towards eradicating your problem is not against your enemy. It is with ourselves. We have not made up our minds that we are through being second-class citizens. We have not made up our minds that we want to be independent. We have not made up our minds that the time has come for us to throw off this American identity. We have not made up our minds that we want to educate our children ourselves. Once we make up our minds to be free, freedom will come quickly. Once we make up our minds to be free, freedom will come quickly. The most honorable Marcus Messiah Garvey, leader of the largest black movement in modern history and the greatest black organizer in modern history, he says, once African people truly get to know ourselves, and if we could get to know ourselves today, we can have a new African reality tomorrow. It is for us to decide it. The white man, from a certain perspective, from a certain perspective, is almost irrelevant. Because once you decide that you want to be free, 
he will not be able to stop you. So this is a historic moment. You know, this is the the station that Oprah Winfrey started on. James Brown been interviewed here. Jackson Five, Four Tops, all all the latest great artists back in the day. This was the number one black owned station, one of the oldest stations, one of the only black owned stations was on on his own towers, on his own land, all independently ran, and. We got the number one speaker and black activist and teacher in the world on this station. So thanks for calling in and and teaching the people. You know, they got million dollars worth of education today. You know. The honor is mine, brothers. I'm looking forward to seeing y'all September 7th. Uh, I will be in the building. God willing, ancestors supporting. It's going down. September 7th, uh, it'll be my fourth. My fourth message to the community in this new fifth black century quadricentennial the time is now it is unify or die pan-africanism will perish another thing the people who don't know what pan-africanism is you can explain that sure i can give you pan-africanism in four principles principle number one all african people whether they are in brazil nigeria tennessee Brooklyn, Europe, Australia, or the South Pacific are one family. Whether they speak English or Spanish or Portuguese or Igbo or Zulu or Swahili, they are one family. Whether they are butter almond or whether they are uh, light bright or blue black purple chocolate, one family. Whether they call God Allah, Jehovah, Yahweh, Elohim, Omodumare, Amen Ra, one family. We believe in African identity. We believe that we should identify as Africans first before we identify as being a part of any other organization. Your race is what is most important. Your race is what is most prominent. So that's principle number one, African identity and the race first mindset. Mm. Number two, self-determination and African exclusivity. That means all problems that must be solved for Africans must be done by Africans without any interference from any alien groups. There is to be no white participation. And if there's to be no white participation in our movement, there certainly can't be no white participation in our families, which means the black man has no business dating or marrying or recreating with anything other than one of our queens. And the same thing for our sisters. It is all black organization. It is all black family. Principle number three, as Africa goes, so goes all African people. We must internationalize the struggle. The black American struggle must be tied up with Africa's struggle against neocolonialism and independence. Africa is a living and breathing mother. She is our mother, our spiritual mother. And until our mother is free, none of us will be free. So until we recognize the role that Africa plays in the black American predicament, we won't be free. Why do you think Chinese get respected everywhere they go? Because China is strong. Why do European Jews get respected wherever they go? Because Israel is strong. Mm. Why do Anglo-Saxons get respected everywhere they go? Because Great Britain is strong. And why is black people disrespected wherever you live, including Africa? Because our mother is weak. 
and we have an obligation to build our mother up and make her strong and make the world respect her. And once we make the world respect our mother, the world will automatically respect us. And principle number four, principle number four, there must be international African solidarity in all things. If we need rules, we got to internationalize it. We need political union, we got to internationalize it. We need a medical system, we have to internationalize it. What we do for any African, we do for all Africans. That's pan African. You know, I, I was told once that it was the same time Af black people were everywhere. So is it is it a foundation in North America, you know, some native black Americans? How does That's that work? Came from Africa. Everything's still. I don't care where you are or how long you've been there. Yeah. You came from Africa. Sure, mm. we were here before slavery. Sure, we were here before Christopher Columbus. But we came from Africa. Sure, we was in Mexico. Sure, we was in the South Pacific. Sure, we was in the Caribbean. But we came from Africa. We mm. are the first people to transmigrate this entire planet. We are the first people to study, settle every continent, every island, every country. But we came from the Great Kingdom. And the Great Kingdom is Africa. Remember, in every country, you have a capital. And so although the whole world belongs to African people, the capital of African people is Africa. Mm. That's what it is, man. We got 10 minutes to go on the show. Say anything you got for the people to follow you. I know you've been telling everybody how to find your websites and, and yes, get your sir. books. The website, drumarjohnson.com. Cell phone, 215-989-9858. number, 8444 Dr. Bomadis, 8444-D-R-U-M-A-R. Uh, donations, please donate. Please, please donate. It was donations that purchased that school, and it will be donations that restore that school. Make your check of money order payable to the SDNG Academy. Mail that to P.O. Box 9634, Wilmington, Delaware, 19809. Send your resumes in, SDMGresumes at gmail.com. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Dr. Umar Johnson. Follow me on Facebook, Dr. Umar Ifatunde. And let's organize. Stokely Carmichael Kwame Ture, one of our last great Pan-Africanists, said, if you organize a little, you get a little done. If you organize some, you get some done. But if you don't organize at all, you don't organize, you don't get anything done there. Most honorable Marcus Garvey said, the greatest weapon used against the Negro is misorganization. W.E.B. Du Bois even said that if black people will put as much effort into solving their own problems as, the, as they spend and to force some white folks to do it for them, we'd probably be free already. And I'm paraphrasing Dubois, but that's pretty much what he said in that quote. You know, so it's up to us. It is absolutely up to us. God and man are a majority against the world, so says the Honorable Frederick Douglass. So I'm just excited as we start off this fifth century. You know, I'm going to do everything I can to my last breathing second of my life to bring about African racial independence and reconstruction. I know it is our birthright. To be free is our birthright. To be respected is our birthright. To be equal is our birthright. To be made to be more than all black women is our birthright. To birth beautiful black black children, that's our birthright. To be free and in charge, 
That is our birthright. We have allowed them to steal our birthright, and we got to take it back. We got to take it back, whatever it takes. Frederick Douglass said, if there is no struggle, there is no progress. Those who profess the favor of freedom and deprecate agitation are like men who want crops without flowing up the ground. They want the rain but can't stand the thunder or the lightning. They want the ocean but can't stand the awful roar of its waves. Douglas said, for 20 years, I prayed on my knees to God for freedom, but the good Lord gave me no freedom until I got up off my knees and started praying with my feet. He said, if you want respect, why do you look for pity? The man who pities you will never respect you. And the man who respects you doesn't have a need to pity you. Garvey said, without confidence in yourself, you are twice defeated in the midst of life. With confidence, you have won even before you have started. It is up to us. Nothing outside of us can resist what is in us once we activate that which is within us. And that which is in us is a living, is the living, breathing presence of Almighty God. You tap into that, you become irresistible and undefeated. So this war is as spiritual as it is political. Have you ever seen a spiritual force that wasn't politically forceful? Gandhi was spiritually fighting the racist, okay? But for his people's sake, he was spiritually strong, so he automatically became a political threat. Mm. Jesus Christ, whether he existed or not is irrelevant, even if he's just treated as a fable. He was spiritually strong, so he automatically became a political threat. Anybody who's spiritually strong automatically becomes a political threat. So the fact that we're politically weak speaks to the fact that we are spiritually, spiritually hypocritical. Because if we really knew God the way we claim we knew God, we would have been free yesterday, brother. That's what. So, uh, is it? Are you? What church should we be going to, and what? How should we get to gather our spirit? The church inside. One of the biggest scams ran on mankind is that you need to go into somebody mm. in order to serve your Lord and develop yourself. Not at all. Most spiritual progress is done in solitude. Jesus stayed by himself. Buddha stayed by himself. Mm. Krishna stayed by himself. Muhammad stayed by himself. Abraham, they all stayed by themselves. Show me the great spiritual teacher and leader who spent this time around other people all the time. The temple of man is within. Ain't no church. Ain't no church. The whole world is a church. And God is the pastor. That's what it is. Thanks for calling in. We finna get, get the last words. I know Gideon's army got No doubt, brothers. What, I you, yep. Looking forward to seeing y'all. I guess we got about two weeks now. Okay. 14 days. The countdown comes. Quadricentennial. Prince of Pan-Africanism invades Nashville, September 7th. Don't miss it. It's going to be one for the ages. All right, we'll be there. It's a, hold on, is it, it's free, right? For everybody who's trying to come, how how do they, do they need tickets or? Get in the army and say the last word. For sure, for sure. So I wanted to just say, man, the time is now. Like the move is urgent. The time is now. If anybody listening to me wants to make some credible change in Nashville and they feel like they can do something, very specifically credible messengers, those are people who were once a part of what is said to be a problem who wants to change it. Come through and holler at Gideon's Army and we'll make sure we'll figure out the best way that you can use your skills to help improve our community. Yes, sir. LT. And just like the, like the brother said, we're looking for 
people who want to get in involved in this kind of work. And also we still uh, trying to push this peace treaty throughout the city. Are we trying to bring the gangs together and get on one accord because we see what's happening across this country as well as, you know what I'm saying, in this city where, you know, we all we got, man. Absolutely. So we need we need all hands on deck trying to okay. trying to curb this gun violence in this city and try to instill and inject some love into these communities because we know that's what's, that's what's missing and that's what's needed. So... Anybody out there that, that hear the sound of my voice, we ask y'all to come, collaborate with Gideon's Army, and, and, and help us, you know, save some lives, man. Because uh, if we don't do it, shh, we just going to continue seeing our youth in body bags and leaving this earth too soon. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's our responsibility. Because those that came before us, they, you know, they, they didn't man they posts and let us run run astray, mm-hmm. now it's our time, you know what I'm saying, to uh, to to stand in the gap for the youth that's uh, out here, man, that, that needs some guidance and don't know how to ask for it. And when, being that we supposed to be the the elders or the OGs or the vets, mm-hmm. it's on us mm-hmm. to, uh, to lead them in a proper way as opposed to sitting there talking about them and saying that they won't listen or they won't do this or they won't do that. All you gotta do is talk to him. You'll be surprised. That's what it is, Mackie G. You learned something? Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. A lot of it I was familiar with. What's going on? You know what I'm saying? Just because I pay attention. For I'm sure. Not, you know what I'm saying? For sure. It's just I pay attention to what's going on out here. Yeah. yeah. And, hey. and if I can say one thing, like the brother say, paying attention. Mm-hmm. Like all the people he named, just for the people out there, have come through Nashville. Stokely Carmichael, yeah. WB Du Bois, yeah, yeah, Booker yeah, T. Washington, yeah. every single one. Everyone. So that's why this place is super special. Yeah. That's why I'm saying it's urgent. And we come in that lineage at all times. Yep. I want to know a little more about the, the ticket. He dropped the mic on me, but go to his Instagram page. He got all the information on the Dr. Umar Johnson. Life is a battle. If you ain't battling, you ain't living. We battle, we out. Uh-huh.